millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even with Trump out of office, it seems like the chaos in the Republican Party just keeps growing. You'd think that after the riot at the U.S. Capitol, Republicans would want to settle down and show they can behave like grown-ups. Well, can they? Maybe the Republicans would do better if they paid attention to some new voices. And we're going to talk to two of them today, Generation Z conservatives who want the party to take young voters seriously. Danielle Butcher and John Olds, can Gen Z save the GOP? When you have a group of people that literally believes that the election was stolen, giving them even a taste that their mission might be successful is a huge problem. And this is why there needs to be lines in the sand with Republican engagement. Our show is about fixes. Yeah, how to make the world a better place. How How do do we we fix fix it? it? How do we fix it? You know, I'm sure a lot of our listeners might say, who cares? Republicans elected a chaos agent in Trump. If he blew up the party, that's their problem. I don't agree. Our American democracy needs a Republican Party that can act as a responsible counterweight to the Democrats. And wisdom does not reside in any one political movement. And I say that as someone who has very rarely voted for a Republican. So I've been writing an article about young conservatives who want the Republican Party to get serious about climate change. And in doing that, I've been interviewing a lot of really smart young activists. Wow. You don't usually think of Republicans as being worried at all about climate change. Exactly. And that's not the only issue where these young conservatives differ with your typical Trump Republican. John Olds is one of the founders of a group called Gen Z GOP. He's a senior at George Washington University and joins us from Washington, D.C. And Danielle Butcher is someone I've interviewed a couple of times. She co-founded the American Conservation Coalition, a group that advocates for free market solutions to environmental problems. And she comes to our roundtable from Dallas, Texas. The audio quality on Danielle's line is not great, but you can hear what she's saying. And that's a, a hazard of these times of of remote podcast reporting, as I'm sure all of our listeners have heard on, on multiple podcasts, but we'll, we'll get through it. So... Danielle, John, welcome to How Do We Fix It? Thanks for having me. Let's start with some definitions. When we say Generation Z, we mean people born between the mid-1990s to, say, the early teens, in contrast to millennials who are generally thought to be born from the 1980s up to the mid-90s. 
Both groups tend to lean a lot more to the left than older voters, but you both call yourselves conservatives. Uh, Danielle, what would you say that word means to you? You know, to me, conservatism is about looking out for other people, but not necessarily believing that the government can do that in the best way. I think it's about trusting people to live their lives and to have personal responsibility, uh, fiscal responsibility, and really just take ownership of your own lives rather than trying to control other people. John, your thoughts? Danielle pretty much sums it up. Uh, it's all about personal responsibility, uh, making sure that we're maximizing freedom and minimizing the different burdens that people have in their own lives and making sure that we kind of cultivate a sort of community spirit that brings us all together and moves us all forward as a, as a people. John, what is it like being a conservative on a liberal college campus? I imagine that could be tough. Yeah, I think the conventional wisdom is that there's this all-out sort of cancel culture where every Republican is demonized for, you know, hating every minority group and hating women and um, just being generally bigoted. And in my experience at GW, which is a very, very liberal institution, uh, that hasn't really been the case. I think that a lot of conservatives don't do themselves a lot of favors in the way they engage with the other side. I think there's an element of good faith that needs to be brought to the table when young Republicans engage. But generally speaking, it's been okay um, to say that they're systemic or that they're entirely the fault of the left is not something that I would agree with. If you look at the Democratic Party today, millennial and Generation Z uh, voters seem to have had a big influence on moving that party farther to the left. The whole Bernie crowd of the progressive movement have had a big influence, but you don't see a similar influence of young Republicans, certainly not during the Trump years. Do you think that now that Trump is out of office, we might see that start to change? Uh, Daniel, what do you think? Yeah, I would actually disagree a little bit with the premise there. I do think that young people have had an impact on the Republican Party. I think you see that in issues such as marriage equality, criminal justice reform, and more recently, environmental issues. And I think that especially now that Trump is out of office, young people have an incredible opportunity to continue influencing and pushing the party forward. And yet the Republican Party faces a deep split between the more traditional wing and populists who passionately supported Donald Trump, who was a disruptor. Some of those people believe in QAnon and other conspiracy theories. Don't you have to confront that? Oh, you absolutely have to. And, you know, I think that what people sometimes miss about the Trump base is that, yes, there are traditional Republicans, but Trump also brought a lot of new voters into the fold and a lot of new demographics that previously weren't being spoken to. And so there's certainly overlap and very alarming things going on within the party. But I don't think that that speaks to the majority of Republicans. I would like to see our elected leaders draw a line in the sand and say, no, this sort of conspiratorial engagement is out of bounds. It's just not acceptable. It's not based in any sort of truth. It's not based in reality. And you're wrong. And you need to accept that this is unacceptable engagement. As Danielle said, it's probably not a majority, um, but it's a concerning enough amount of people that there needs to be a broad acknowledgement that it is a big problem. When the Capitol was stormed uh, a few weeks back by some Trump supporters, what were your personal feelings about that? Was, was that difficult or uncomfortable for you? I'm happy you brought this up. 
because it is sort of related to the last point about conspiracy theories. There were a lot of Republican representatives that used the talking point that, oh, we should investigate election integrity or we should do things to restore faith in our elections or we should at least try but acknowledge that the election isn't actually going to be overturned. And that's a massive problem because it's illogical to do that. When you have a group of people that literally believes that the election was stolen, giving them even a taste that their mission might be successful is a huge problem. And this is why there needs to be lines in the sand with Republican engagement. Now, as for my personal feelings, it was just utterly shocking. It was surreal. It's a city I go to school in. Walking to the Capitol from campus is a pretty regular activity for me. There's hardly ever any, you know, massive security presence there. It's just kind of a beautiful place to walk to and see and to see it desecrated like that. That was surreal. Yeah, it was definitely devastating to watch. I mean, when you're somebody who holds such a deep respect and love for our institutions, to see it attacked in that way was just just heartbreaking in so many ways. And I think that to John's point, the conspiracy of the election being stolen actually runs deeper in the Capitol Hill um, challenge that we saw because you had these people storming the Capitol and then three days later claiming it was Antifa or you know leftist activists, not even taking responsibility for what they had fostered in their own party and the environment that they had created that allowed this to happen. Now, as we record this, uh, the Senate is gearing up for an impeachment trial of the former president. What do you think Republican senators ought to do? I hope they impeach him. I think that anyone who has a love and respect for our institutions, which is supposedly what conservatism is founded upon, needs to set the precedent that a president cannot incite violence and have no consequences whatsoever. We cannot let this go unpunished or unchallenged. And we need to make a very clear line in the sand, as John has been saying, that this is not okay and it can't happen again. If I were a senator, based on the information in front of me, I would probably vote to convict. To me, the question should be, what is the best way to repudiate the folks that either stormed the Capitol or sympathized with those who stormed the Capitol? I'm actually not sure that impeachment is the right way to accomplish that end. One of the things I've heard both of you talk about, and one of the reasons that I wanted to have you on the show, is that you feel there are all these issues that are not really being addressed by today's Republican Party, or at least not very loudly. Uh, and John, I know that was a big uh, part of your rationale for starting Gen Z GOP. What would some of those issues be? Yeah, that's, that's certainly a huge problem with the Republican Party today. A lot of the, uh, one of the issues we talked about earlier was climate change. That's certainly something that Republicans haven't really even engaged on until very, very recently. Uh, another one is is racial injustice. I think that we can definitely do a better job of listening to people that have different experiences than ours. Another, um, as a student, I know student loan debt is a huge issue. And the fact that there's not a broadly agreed upon Republican uh, engagement on that issue, and it directly affects uh, young people that will be the next generation of voters. And when we don't engage on these issues, we are de facto ignoring them. And it's a huge problem. Now, you've both talked about a number of issues, a lot of things that are associated with uh, more liberal policies. But wouldn't someone just ask, well, if, you, if you're concerned about all those issues, why not just join the Democrats? 
Yeah, that's a good question. And having grown up in a left of center liberal progressive family, one that I actually get quite often, the way that I've always phrased it is I still have the same values as my family, right? I still care about, um, you know, people being able to live their lives. I still care about wage discrepancies and, you know, gender issues and equality. I just have different solutions and different ways of going about it than my family may, you know, where they would say regulate something. I would say, let the market work where they would say, you know, let the government bail people out. I would say, empower those people to dig themselves out. And so it's not that there's a disagreement on the way that people should be treated or the way that our society should be functioning. It's a disagreement on how to get there. John? Kind of hit the nail on the head. (laughs) I know that I'm definitely not a Democrat. John, tell us more about that. Tell us more about why you're not a Democrat, because clearly, as Jim mentioned, on, for instance, uh, your view of, of sexuality and climate change and opposition to Trump and several other things, you sound more like a Democrat than a traditional Republican. So what's the problem with the Democrats from your point of view? Republicans, at least in my experience, up until we became massive snowflakes that were victimized by everything, uh, we sort of believed that we controlled our own destiny and that we could overcome adversity rather than be the victims of a bunch of external forces working against us. So that's ultimately the core answer to the question. Danielle, let's talk a little bit about your crux issue, which is the environment and climate change. Do you help? That's the mission of the American Conservation Coalition that you helped start. How do you think that Republicans or people who support free markets can help really bring about change in these areas. We need to bring our carbon emissions down if we want to avert worse climate change. Yeah, I, I think that with environmental issues, people have a tendency to want to go in and you know regulate, regulate, regulate because it sounds good and it seems like you can achieve results through that. But what we've seen for the better half of three decades is that that's not actually improving things the way that we thought it would. And I think that Climate change is a really good example of this because Democrats for, like I said, the better half of 30 years have really been interested in this issue and in solving this issue. But we haven't seen the emissions reductions that we need to see to make an issue um, or to solve the issue. Republicans, on the other hand, seem to look at climate change as a threat, as something that's going to negatively impact our economy, our people, jobs. And what they should be looking at it as is an opportunity. They should be saying, this is an opportunity for us to improve competitiveness in the market, to create jobs, to improve our standing in um, the global community. And I I think that Republicans really just have to shift the way that they're looking at issues like climate change. And rather than seeing them as roadblocks or threats, seeing them as opportunities to improve society and to let markets do what they do best. This is How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. And just a quick reminder to our listeners, we are a proud member of the Democracy Group Network of Podcasts. There are about 13 of us in this coalition uh, dealing with issues of democracy. Check us out at democracygroup.org. And now back to John Olds and Danielle Butcher. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, 
and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You know, some ways, both of you sound like you'd be a little more at home in the traditional Republican Party of, say, the Bush years or, or you know, Romney and McCain John, is this part of what you see as the mission of Gen Z GOP? Well, one of the things that I think is super important to understand is that the Bush Republican Party or the party of Mitt Romney or John McCain, whatever person you want to define it by, that wasn't that good either. In fact, two of those guys ran for president and lost. You know, those, those guys were not particularly engaged on the issue of climate change. They weren't particularly engaged on issues of racial inequality. So... To say that we should just return to the old, I think the quote now is the dead consensus, is not necessarily wise. I think it's sort of fusing together some of the parts of the Trump era that did speak to a number of legitimate issues, while also fusing it with this modernization sort of facelift, where you engage on entirely new issues. John, what is your group, Gen Z GOP, exactly? How would you describe it? Well, according to Internet Trolls, we are a neoconservative grifting group looking to, uh, you know, intervene in the Middle East. (laughs) And obviously you're a Russian plant, right? (laughs) Yes, yes. Bill Kristol actually sends me checks every couple of months just to keep the (laughs) keep the fire burning. No, it's it's a group that's sort of based on thought leadership in this field. So we have a blog, we have a podcast, we hold now virtual town hall events with different leaders to have these important conversations about nudging the party in the right direction. And then sort of as the organization grows and becomes more formalized, I think that it would probably be a good bet to see us trying to get involved in the campaign space, really making a difference. Daniel, how would you describe the style that you think could the Republicans need to uh, to make some progress in some of these issues, especially with younger voters? Yeah, the, the phrase that I go back to to describe this always comes down to, you know, strong in principle, strong in conservative philosophy, but moderate in temperament, in temperament and realizing that, you know, in order to enact your principles and make it something that's widespread, you need to appeal to people and you need to be willing to have common ground with people and compromise. And so I, I think that the strong in principle, but moderate in temperament is really what I always go back to. One thing that I think people get confused about when there's talk about compromise, they think it means that you look at what the other side is proposing and you just say, okay, we'll meet you halfway. But if you take a proposal like the more grandiose forms of the Green New Deal, you're not saying, oh yeah, we'll just except a watered-down version of that, are you? Danielle, I know this is a big issue for you. 
No, we're not. I, I think that sometimes compromise is funny because you have to know what it is that you're willing to lose ground on and what it is that you absolutely are drawing your line in the sand for. And I, I think that that's something we need to do a better job of, as, of saying, look, okay, we both agree that we need to reduce emissions. So we are fine with having startup subsidies for this new technology, but nuclear needs to be a part of the equation. We're not compromising on nuclear. And, and I think that sometimes there's this tendency to want to be bipartisan for the sake of being bipartisan. And that's not a healthy way to approach policy. You need to be bipartisan so that you can have a greater impact on something. But if you're not standing in any sort of philosophy or any sort of values as you're trying to find a solution, it's really not achieving anything. I'm the more liberal of the two of us. But I want to ask a conservative question, and that is, how big should the federal government get? Uh, one of the impacts of both climate change and now the pandemic is that many people are calling for a much bigger role to be played by the federal government than was the case in the past. Uh, how would you respond to that? I'm not necessarily against the government being involved in issues like this. I think government has a very specific role in addressing challenges that are presented to its nation. And so I think that in the case of climate change specifically, government's role should be incentivizing the market to do better and to find solutions. It shouldn't be punishing companies or entering trade agreements that don't actually reduce emissions. It shouldn't be about rhetoric or setting up new commissions to solve problems. It should be about telling the market this is the direction we want you to go in. We're going to give you the tools you need to get there, figure it out, because government is never going to be able to innovate the way that the market can. And it's that innovation that's going to dig us out of the hole of climate change. Yeah, and, and on the topic of the pandemic, there's, there's a lot of discussion right now about um, President Biden's new COVID relief package, which has a pretty big price tag on it. And I think that, you know, a lot of Democrats have criticized Republicans for sort of rediscovering fiscal conservatism now that there's a Democratic president. And I think to an extent, that's a fair critique. But I just look at the package and I look at the set of needs that need to be filled within society. And as conservatives, we have to ask ourselves, does this plan actually accomplish what needs to be accomplished? For example, if I'm you know, a recent college graduate that hasn't had my impact, uh, my job impacted by COVID-19, why should I get a stimulus check? Whereas you might have a family that makes six figures that lost everything, they wouldn't qualify for a stimulus check, but maybe that person should would need some liquidity. So in terms of the size and scope of government, one of the things that was always impressed upon me is that you save in the good times and you spend in the bad times. And when we don't save in the good times, we're now squeezed in the bad times. So we're in this sort of catch-22. Final question. Do you see years of wilderness ahead for the Republican Party? Or are you hopeful that things will change and the party will move in the direction you're advocating for fairly quickly? I have to be hopeful. I don't think it serves us to be pessimistic and to think that this is going to you know, never change. That being said, I'm under no illusion that this is going to be easy and that the Republican Party is going to wake up tomorrow and as a whole have a change of heart. 
I recognize there are going to be a lot of fights within the party and it's going to be an uphill climb, but this is work that's worth doing and it's worth doing in a positive way and in a happy way. So I'm happy to do it. My answer is actually pretty clear. I don't see years of wilderness ahead. I think that if you engage in the right way and acknowledge that the social media sphere is sort of not real life and not really reflective of people on the ground, then changing hearts and minds can actually be pretty easy because most Americans, for the most part, they're not super politically engaged. They're not caught up in petty battles. And if you can appeal to them sort of on a common sense level, I do think that the Republican Party can have a sustainable future with these new groups. Thank you, Danielle and John. Good to be with you. Thank you. And now to our recommendation. I've got one for you this week, Richard. It's an oldie but goodie. <laughs> Another oldie after your reading of Hamilton. Okay. Well, it's closely related. I am reading the Federalist Papers. Uh, my wife and I decided that, you know, we hadn't really studied that enough in school. I, if I could go back to college, I would focus a lot more on history. And so we read one chapter each day at lunch. They're very, they take about 10 or 12 minutes to read. They're short. And then we discuss it. It's very nerdy, but really, really eye-opening. And what I'm so struck by with the, the papers is how much Hamilton, who wrote most of them, uh, and Madison, how they trusted the people to look at facts. And they constantly say over and over again that reasonable people, if they use their, their natural intelligence, will reach the same conclusion. They, they really have this faith in rationality. And of course, as you know, I'm concerned that our society has sort of turned on the idea that we can rationally examine issues, rely on facts, and come to good conclusions as a society. So, not exactly the stereotype of today's Republican Party, is it? Certainly not. And uh, it was a refreshing surprise to me that there are young Republicans who are very serious about really root and branch reform for the Republican Party that believes in, in free markets. It's not like they're not conservatives in an economic sense. They clearly are. But when it comes to social matters and to climate change, uh, they are well to the left of where the Republican Party is now. But, but in some ways, even trying to put some of those issues on a right-left continuum, I think, uh, is limiting. If you look at the science of climate change, you could be as conservative as anything and still see that this is a big problem, but look for different sorts of solutions. So if I was a Republican, and, and I'm clearly not, I would be much less Well, I barely am. I mean, look at me. <laughs> I, I, I would be much I, I'm, less... I'm holding out hope that the party comes back to me. <laughs> I think you should be less depressed than uh, some are today. For instance, especially on demographics, as a baby boomer, and, and you are too, uh, we remember when our generation was seen as way more liberal than older Americans. We marched against the Vietnam War, and on women's rights and civil rights, most of us were much more left than our parents. And, and now, 
most boomers are Republicans. America is a more conservative nation than it's often portrayed to be. Well, especially if this administration really pushes some of the cultural uh, issues to the line the way there's early signs they might be. Uh, I, I think they might find out they alienate a lot of people, you know, in the middle, the swing voters, the people who are on board with sort of a sensible Democratic Party. I mean, we may see the Democratic Party go through some of the same wrenching schisms that the, that the Republicans did, where you have a more radical fringe that really wants to drag it into a new space. And you have the more traditional kind of uh, mainstream Democrats who um, who don't want to go there. But it's possible to overreach, and, and we may be having the same conversation four years from now with the positions reversed. We may even be having that conversation months from now. That's the subject of a future show. It's How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. And our producer is Miranda Schaefer. This show is a production of Davies Content. Uh, DaviesContent.com makes podcasts for companies and nonprofits. Check us out at DaviesContent.com. And thanks for listening. This podcast is part of the Democracy Group. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Summer's just around the corner, so give your body the care it deserves with Osea's best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Created by infusing Andaria seaweed in barrels of botanical oils, it leaves skin silky soft and glowing. Plus, it's clinically proven to improve elasticity and deeply moisturize without feeling greasy. It's safe, clean, vegan skincare. Get 10% off your first order at oseamalibu.com with code GLOW, plus free shipping on orders over $60.